Well, that's a colourful passage, isn't it? That's what I was looking at. I was trying to think, what would have been a gentler way of saying vomited onto the dry land? Pardon? I couldn't think of a gentler way than saying that, so that's how the colour of the Bible comes alive. Guys, just uh, before I hook into Jonah 2, that lady asked me this morning about getting some um, soul snacks each day. Those of you, some of you guys get these already. There's a little soul snack inside your notice sheet, and if you want to give me your email address and you want to get a daily encouragement five days a week or one day, your choice, comes in at half past five every morning, because I know that's when you get up anyway, um, when you're having your first cup of tea. If you'd like to get some daily encouragement, just give me your email address. And uh, I'm happy to subscribe you for that. And there's no charge. And if you, if you change your mind later on, you can just unsubscribe like anything else. So that's a little soul snack that we've published um, in the notice sheet. And there'll be another one coming out on the next sheet as well. So I was asked about that this morning, but I haven't mentioned it. If any of you would like some Christian encouragement for five days a week or even one day a week, uh, just say to subscribe on soulsupply.com. The address is there. Or give me your email address, please. So, we're over at um, Jonah, chapter 2. And we're not swimming through Jonah now, we're drowning, aren't we? That's the nature of what happens to those that might be disobedient. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. The God of the deep. Now, it seemed to me fairly appropriate to call tonight's uh, message the God of the deep. I've got no, no idea how deep uh, Jonah was, but he's inside the belly of a fish and he's in the Mediterranean and after that is sheer speculation. But I don't think he was able to grasp at much air. So he's had to go deep. He's literally gone deep. And of course, where there's depth, there's a lot of other meaning than just going a long way down into the water where it gets dark. So I called it the God of the Deep. Now, remember, you might remember this. I like that picture, so I'm just going to use it each week. Look, Mum, no aqualung. Do you think he was yelling out that? Maybe we'll think of some other caption. You can think of another caption for, for the last one next week on Jonah. Let me know. Otherwise, you've only got to put up with the best I can come up with. But look, Mum, no aqualung. That's Jonah today. He's, you know... What's the distance here? Half an inch outside of the mouth whale. So, let's recap. I want to encourage you from last week. God still redeems, God still calls, and God still uses mess-ups. God still uses those that make mistakes. And the fact of your disobedience, the fact of your mistakes, the fact of your, the fact of your ignorances, whatever it is, God is, that is not a pediment for the Lord seeking you and desiring you to serve him and loving you and blessing you with him. God uses mess-ups. I'm living, breathing example of that. It comes from inside as much as that comes from thinking. So be encouraged. Jonah was probably one of the biggest mess-ups in the Bible, only arguably, but God still used him, didn't he, to do the world's most successful evangelistic campaign. 100% response rate. 
Nobody's got that since. Now, I can't think about this picture of Jonah of drifting into the mouth of the whale and then descending into the Mediterranean even further without seeing the parallel that it's a sinking into the blackness, it's a sinking into darkness. And what we're talking about here for Jonah isn't a physical conquest, it's a spiritual conquest. Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't win the spiritual conquest, there is no physical conquest left. Jonah, he uses, he uses the phrase in this passage that he's in the grave. He's entombed, he's inside this whale, or great fish as it's described. He's, inside, he's entombed, he can't get out and he can't get up. So he's now in a battle of darkness. It's physical darkness, but it's also a spiritual darkness. That's the battle he's in. Now when you're in a battle of darkness, there are no weapons of men, there are no sources, no guns, uh, there's no knives. It's not fought with those sorts of weapons, this battle. And the battle is always out of sight. When in the battle of darkness, somebody else doesn't know you're in darkness. There's nobody else in the world knew that Jonah was in the bottom of the Mediterranean, except for maybe those six or half a dozen fishermen. But they wouldn't have realised he's inside a whale. No one else would have known the battle, because you can't see in the dark. You can't see others in the dark. Now, so darkness, the battle for the soul, the battle for the spirit, the battle of spiritual conquest... It's fought without man's weapons. It is always out of sight and therefore the battles are lonely. You haven't got your mum or your dad or your whoever it is to come and hold you in those battles. There's you and there's the Lord and there's darkness. That's the nature of the battle. The battlefield is the heart and the soul because if the Lord doesn't win Jonah's heart and his soul, he doesn't get vomited up at the other end of the story. So we've got a 180 degrees turn happening now in this story with Jonah. Now, it's interesting in here that Jonah, while he's inside this great fish, he doesn't shake his fist at God, which is the problem we do with suffering. One of the early responses when we suffer is to shake our fist of God, two fists to God, and blame him for the events that we're in. Now, Jonah quite, quite correctly says that God caused this, you, you, uh, you, you um, what's it say? You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He said, I'm banished from your sight. He was fully conscious of God's hand in these events, but he doesn't shake his fist at God. But usually, suffering confronts the faithfulness of God. And if you haven't felt that yourself in your own life, either you haven't suffered enough, either you're already at Jonah where he's done 180 degrees, or if you haven't suffered, well done, bless you. You've had a marvellous life and thank God for it, but I'm sure you've heard somebody else blame God if you haven't felt that in your own heart. If you haven't felt it, well done. It's a, it's a thing to be down on your knees and say thanks for but usually suffering confronts the faithfulness of God. But I want to say, in the times of suffering, it doesn't only confront the faithfulness of God, it confirms the faithfulness of God. Jonah, as we'll see next week in chapter 1, was a recalcitrant. But God wasn't going to leave Jonah alone. So Jonah now is in a place where he can do business with God because God still wants Jonah on his team. Please, 
when you're in the darkness, when those depths are, are, are flooding you and they're getting over your drawers of bone. Thanks for that, Pete. It's, it's probably getting through your drawers of bone. When you're in those depths, don't doubt in darkness what God has shown you in the light. That's a quote from Neil Anderson. So not only does suffering confront faithfulness of God, but it confirms it if I look at the brighter side. Now, we're discussing this, this during the week with the fellows at the men's Bible study, so I can't claim uh, all this is original thought for me. But we came, we came and we had a look at Jonah chapter 2, and it, it, it occurs to, to, uh, to us that this verse 6 of Jonah chapter 2, to the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. Now that's a, sen- that's a sense to my mind of complete loss, complete impotence. He's, how, how low is he? Can you get any lower than the roots of the mountains? Oh, I don't think you can. I, don't, that's a, I think that's a very poetic way of expressing where he's got to in his own personal state. So Jonah now is physically at the roots of the mountains, but spiritually as well. He knows he's sinking. So what he's doing inside this whale now is he's reconciling the cost of disobedience as he enters the place where he does not want to be. Now, next week we're going to talk about Jonah's disobedience far more. But understand, Jonah had a choice. He could have gone to Nineveh or he could have fled to to, uh, Tarshish. Now, where there is choice, there is temptation. That's Genesis 3. Should you eat of this tree of the knowledge of fruit, good and evil? Should you eat that fruit? Now, the problem with temptation, one, it's going to be good because God's not going to tempt you with something that you know you're not interested in. I'll tell you guys, God can't tempt me with broccoli. (laughs) He's got even less chance with Brussels sprouts. So he's going to have to come at least with me with a banana or an apple, you know? He's not going to tempt you with something that's desirable or that's not desirable to you. But the problem with temptation, not only is the, what's being brought towards you desirable, but it never tells you the second state is worse than the first. Go back to Genesis 3 again. God and Adam and Eve walked in the Garden of Eden and they felt no shame. They had it all, literally all. There was salmon in the Garden of Eden and there was mangoes in the Garden of Eden. And although you couldn't have eaten salmon, could you, because the animals weren't going to die. I don't know how they ate live salmon, but I'm sure it's a nice food that was in Eden. Mangoes. And my wife's sure there's avocados in the Garden of Eden. It was a place of pleasantness, wasn't it? So one temptation, 20 verses later, they're expelled from Eden. Can you see how when you give in to release yourself to temptation, the second state becomes worse than the first? And the the severity of that is not only the expulsion from Eden, but the first two two boys on on the face of this earth that are born, one murders the other. Murder comes into this world immediately. Now Adam and Eve had no idea that that was going to happen so quickly. So Jonah is now in a worse state than he was when he was first tempted. I'm assuming he was tempted wherever he was in, in, uh, 
in Israel on some desert somewhere, some sand, some piece of dirt. I don't know. But being inside the belly of, belly of a great fish in the Mediterranean with, uh, with no hope of, of uh, surviving without some miraculous intervention is got to be a worse place. Please understand, regardless of the temptation, the temptation will only ever lead you to the place where the second state is going to be worse than the first. Disobedience casts you to places and depths as unwanted as they are unimagined. Now, that's Jonah, literally in depths. But there are the depths of despair, the depths of darkness, the depths of the soul, the, 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 the terrors of the night. There are these depths, the depressions and, and, and the spiritual handicaps that you never know you're going to feel but they come upon you when you're in this spiritual, uh, when you're in this spiritual battleground. So distress invites low hearts to look high. Chapter 2, verse 2. See, Jonah looked at what was happening. He gets this right in chapter 1, actually. And he audits himself. And he starts to understand the flow of events. And what's he saying in chapter 2? He says, In my distress I called to God and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I call for help. Now this is where Jonah is wiser than a lot of other people because he doesn't blame God. He calls to God for, to help. Lord, save me. I'm sinking in this Mediterranean. Save me. He makes the good Lord his refuge. He's being led to a rock that is high and high. Psalm 61. Now when I'm sinking, there are many other things that can come to me that I want to make as my refuge. But none of them are going to deliver me. It's when I make my God my refuge, there will be the time of deliverance as happens in the end of this chapter. So lean into the Lord, please. Because God does not despise your plea. He might have seen your disobedience. He may have seen your hardship. He may have seen the weakness of your heart. He may have seen the, the path you've already walked to get to this point of distress and darkness. But he still doesn't despise you. He wants to answer you. Verse 6, read it again. Actually, read verse 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I think that's poetic, but maybe he was had seaweed wrapped around his head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Guys, don't despise. God doesn't despise people in depths. In fact, don't despise the depths because the Lord is there in them too. Jonah knew that. He called out to the Lord. So lean into suffering when suffering, uh, lean into the Lord when suffering loss. And the loss that you suffer is measured by how much is taken away. So you can take your well-being away, you can take your emotions away, you can... You can, you, you can um, take your friends away, you can lose your housing, you can lose your jobs. That's the greater the distress. The more loss, the greater the distress. So, 
Remember, where there is loss, lean into the Lord, don't lean away from him. Away from him. The Lord is in the depths. He's not remote. Okay, now Jeremiah was not a happy camper. I don't know if you've read much of Jeremiah. Um, he wrote the book, he wrote the prophet, book, the prophecy of Jeremiah, I think about 50 chapters, a long book, and then Lamentations straight after it. Now Lamentations, oh, I really feel sorry for Jonah. In, um, in Jonah chapter 1, the Lord tells him that I've set you aside to be a prophet to Israel uh, from before you, were birth, before you were born. So he really didn't have a lot of choice in this, this, uh, this career that the Lord was giving him. And then the Lord says to Jonah, I said to Jonah, says to Jeremiah, he says, but you're going to be a prophet for 40 years to a recalcitrant nation that's not going to listen to you, that's going to, that's going to cause you great suffering, and you're not even allowed to pray for these people. Now, you could make a case. He had one of the hardest jobs ever. And after that, or during that, he wrote Lamentations. He is a man familiar with suffering. And he writes down, so let's, let's get this, it's a little obscure verse. For he, God, does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. So when I want to shake my fist at the Lord in my season of suffering, remember this. It's not God's desire to do so. I'm quite sure that the good Lord wanted Jonah to hop on a chariot and go up to Nineveh than hop on a boat and go to Tarshish. He didn't want Jonah to be in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. Any more than he wanted to bring judgment upon the wickedness of Nineveh and gave them 40 days to turn. Remember, this whole book is about mercy triumph over judgment. But the times are going to come, and they have come, especially if you have kids, where some kids had to be disciplined. It's Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Because if they weren't disciplined, it was going to get worse for them. Can you see how suffering confirms God's faithfulness as much as it uh, can, uh, can cause you to question God's faithfulness? True story. I used to live down in... Um, down in Green Valley, public housing area. Across the road from our house, there were some housing commission flats. Poor people. Now, one afternoon I was walking out and there's, there's a little boy playing in the front yard. I think he was about three, unsupervised. Now, this is school time, home time, three o'clock in the afternoon. And there's a mum coming down the road in a Camry and he bolts straight out in front of that car. Gets hit. Now, there's angels there because that little kid got up and ran back into the front yard crying. Now, that's a true story. Now, I tell you that not because the little kid was suffering, but the little kid hadn't been taught to not run out onto the road. Now, sure, he was three, so you could say maybe mum or dad should have been there so that wouldn't have happened anyway. But can you see how when I don't know the right thing to do or I get the right or I get it wrong, suffering then comes. Now I don't know how that little kid didn't end up with severe injuries. He got hit by a camera. He didn't even get hit by a Corolla or a Yaris, he got hit by a camera, a larger car. But that was because he 
he wasn't told not to go out. His suffering was not his fault. So God teaches us through suffering when we are doing things that will hurt us. He doesn't want us to be hurt, but he will use hardship to bring us back to him. Now, it's not God's desire anymore to hurt us than it was for that little mum, for that mum to have that little boy hurt, or dad, whoever was there. It is in the depths that I am made ready to obey God, and I learn to make God my refuge. In the depths I am stripped of my well-being, and I learn what is truly important for me. Because when I have lost everything, I am going to learn what I fight for. And the things of this earth that I hold dearly, if they're stripped away, I'm going to find they don't help me anyway. Remember, um, remember, remember Jacob at the river Jacob uh, at the river Jabbok. He crosses the river before he returns to meet his brother Esau. He sends all his family across, all his wealth across. He's a wealthy man by this time in his life. And he wrestles with God all night at the ford of the river Jabbok. He's got nothing. It's just him and the Lord wrestling. He worked out what was important to him and he hung on to the Lord. He was in fear. He was going to go and see his brother Esau. So he sought the Lord. He lost everything. He put it aside and he met with the Lord. And meeting with the Lord changed him. I think that's about Genesis 25 if you want to chase that story through, 28, somewhere around there. When you lose things, it's actually better because you work out what's important to you. Are you going to hang on to the Lord or not? That's the last question you have. So Jonah has been brought, his life's come up from the pit, oh my Lord. When my life was ebbing, ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So here he is. Instead of running from God, he's turning to God. Why? Because he's not in a boat, he's in a fish. And now God's finally got his correct attention. So the human condition seems to me to be reflected in all of this. There's an eternal and simple pattern. Flee God and sink. Look up to God and rise. Make him your refuge, because if you don't make him your refuge in times of hardship, you do other things, maybe like drinking, that's the one that comes to my mind, but there are lots of other things we do. It's only going to get worse. Mankind forever still forfeits grace. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now I wonder, it's only suspicion, but there's an echo in this. There's two echoes in this. Those who cling to worship uh, to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. The first echo is, is Jonah thinking, the things I've clung to are now worthless. Is Jonah thinking, my, my ability to flee, my, my, uh, my education or my faith, they're, they're, none of these are, are any good to me now, I've just got to have the Lord. But is he also thinking now once again about the Ninevites who were demon worshippers, worshippers of false gods? Is he thinking that these people too have forfeited God's grace? Because what Jonah did when he hopped on that boat and he went away from, um, from uh, Nineveh, he was saying to the Lord, I don't want your grace. 
I'm turning my back on your grace and I don't want your grace across those people you want me to talk to either. But God's still, he's still the God of second chances, isn't he? So storms, darkness and de- depths can cripple the body. They can imprison it, imprison it. But they free the heart to reach to heaven. Jonah had no distractions. He had no TV set. He had no mobile phone. He had no 481111. Anybody not know that number? It's the old Pizza Hut number. He didn't, he didn't have. He didn't have places to go to. He didn't have places to go to because he was they've taken from him. So his only place to turn was to turn up. Jonah now loses his life to God and he saves it for himself. In sadness, in distress, don't flee worship, don't flee God, pursue it. Jonah says in verse verse 9, but I will sing with a song of thanksgiving and will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good and salvation comes from the Lord. So he's moved from a man who is fleeing God to a man now who wants to give praise to God. I will sing of your salvation. And he's still not even saved yet. He's not on the, on the beach. He lands on the beach in verse 10. So it's a praise of faith. So in sadness, don't flee worship, but pursue it. Understand that when you're in the depths, when you're in the pain, when the darkness surrounds you, when you're on your own, if you've never experienced this, gee, you're blessed. If you have experienced, you know what I'm saying. When you're in these places, don't release worship. Pursue it. Because the place of worship is the place that releases you back into light. Because I'm praising he who is light, the light of the world. So Jonah doesn't flee worship, now he pursues it. Because you know what? God never wastes a hurt. If you bring them to him, that's a quote from, I think it's Rick Warren, God never wastes a hurt. He's going to turn the pain into profit. And that's what Jonah does now because he's now praising. Storms, darkness, death, distress will imprison the body, but the heart can still flee to heaven. Remember that. Corrie ten Boom in the prison camps, facing all sorts of privations and evil from the Nazi soldiers in World, late in World War II, her and her sister in the prison camps. I think her sister died in the prison camp, if I correct. Um, her heart still f- was free to go to heaven. It wasn't imprisoned. So when in life's dark seasons I've learned to sing in the rain, soon the sun will shine. So verse 9, Jonah's singing, I, I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. And verse 10, he's now vomited onto dry land. He's there. Because now he hasn't learned to groan or just groan in the rain. He's learned to sing in the rain. And I think that's what life is about. If you're 16, I hope you never know this. I hope you never have to figure it out. But if you're 60, I'm pretty sure you might have a dead set heads up on this. That life isn't about 
not having rain, storms. Life isn't about surviving the storms, which is necessary, but life is actually learning to sing or dance in the rain. Because when I've learnt to dance or sing in the rain, that is the path to release. Because the darkness doesn't have hold over me anymore. Refuse. Refuse to dishonour the depths. I don't want this pain anymore, you may say. How long, O Lord? The psalmist, Jeremiah, talks about how long, O Lord? I don't want to be here anymore. But refuse to dishonour those depths because the days of darkness are your salvation and they are Jonah's salvation. He had to go through the darkness before he reached the light again, didn't he? That's the nature of the human condition. Flee God and sink. Look up to God and rise. Now, I've got two little things that I discovered online during the week. I thought, ah, these may help. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off, do you? You sit still and trust the engineer. Trust God today, no matter how dark your situation, because God says you are coming out. Never doubt in darkness what God has shown you in the light. I have known far too many people who have faced the days of darkness, the days of despair, the, day, the days of distress, the days of despair, the days of um, depression. They all start with D, don't they? Days of deepness that have bolted from God. But Jonah was sharp enough to call out to God, save me, and not flee God, and then lose it. Let's tie all this together. I have two more Sundays left here. And I hope that if there's one takeaway that I can leave with us, is that we know now that mercy triumphs over judgment. Once again, Jonah has been shown mercy. And not only because he was shown mercy, he therefore can show other people mercy as well. Please understand that when the day of light comes, when you land on that beach in the sunshine and you feel the warmth and the cold flees, when you're on that beach and you're loving this restoration because you're out of the darkness, restoration is for reproduction. It's not just to make you feel good which is what happened to Jonah. He was released, but he was to also show mercy, God's mercy to somebody else. It's never just for you. Thank God for the darkness, because there is always a sunrise. When you are down to nothing, you can be sure that God is up to something. For he who sends the storms still steers the ship, and he still forms the beaches. So we'll talk about how the ship gets steered next week because that's what was happening in chapter 1. But the beach was there ready for Jonah. The beach was there or whatever he landed on. Could have been rocks, I don't know. But the ground was there, the dry ground. Now one final little bit of a twist on this slide. A related postscript. 
some of you guys, I hope it's all of you, but I doubt it is, may not have been through those difficult times where you could be the light, the lighthouse of someone else's storm. You see somebody else in the storm. You sense there's a storm. You sense there are those times of despair and, and uh, suffering, those times of hardship. Well, you haven't been in those storms, but maybe you can be the lighthouse to help navigate them through this storm. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you that you haven't left us unattended and you never will. Oh Lord, that we would ever draw closer to you and make you our refuge. And for those, Lord, who need refuge, may we be your light to them as well. Amen.